Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me and does not keep my words, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you because before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Some of the older folks here might remember on PBS about 30 years ago, there was a show called This Old House. It might still be in syndication, but not with the hosts that I grew up watching, Bob Vila and Norm Abram. Do you remember those people? Great show on PBS that Dad would have on all the time watching this transformation from an old house being updated and remodeled into something new. And I liked the show so much, or at least Dad liked it, and I watched it enough to where one year when a skunk moved into Grandpa's barn, I, being about five or six, named him Norm. Well. It was always a fun show to watch, though, and of course now there's a myriad of shows like this on cable and dish where you can see transformations, these before and after pictures of a project done on a house, a car, or something else of some work being done on it. And whenever the contrast is starker between the started and the finished project, the newer project and the newer product shines all the brighter. Well, today is Pentecost, the Sunday of Pentecost, and we have two transformations that are going on today, two befores and afters, if you will. And both of them are striking to behold, and both of them are wrought by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. The first one is Peter, Simon Peter himself. We all know the Peter from the Gospels, don't we? We think of this image of him. He is a dutiful servant of his Lord, but also makes a lot of mistakes. Steps on his robe a lot, if you will. He is often confused about what's supposed to be going on. What am I supposed to be doing? Well, transfiguration, the Lord is there with Moses and Elijah, and Peter wants to have a building project of his own, erecting tents. And you have him saying, Jesus, do not go to the cross, far be it from you. And certainly, I think if you're going to think of an iconic image of Peter making a pretty big mistake, it is when he is denying his Lord three times in the night our Lord was betrayed. But the Peter of Acts, the second reading, the long reading from today, well, that Peter is a completely different guy, isn't he? Even after Easter, before Pentecost, there's still a few echoes of the old Peter, you know, going out fishing, being hidden in the upper room, the Peter of fear. But after Pentecost, it's undoubted. He is a completely transformed individual, nothing like the guy before. 
He is new. He's a brand new person, a bold preacher. He's converted from confused and cowering to someone who's confident in his risen Lord. He was hiding in the upper room with the rest of the disciples, but what does he do on Pentecost? He goes out, and the very people and the crowd that he was afraid of, he preaches a sermon to, a clear sermon, a direct sermon, a bold sermon. He doesn't give a ladies' aid or an LWML luncheon devotion, no. He preaches the sermon that the elders say, we need to have a special meeting and talk about this pastor sermon, one of those sermons. A full-throttle message of conviction. This Jesus, he says, whom not other people, other people in Jerusalem, the religious leaders crucified, no. This Jesus, he says, whom you crucified. Pointing the finger at the very people he was preaching to. This Jesus whom you crucified by the hands of lawless men. In New Jersey, they call that chutzpah. But Peter, here has it. And you almost wonder, where's the real Peter? Who is this imposter standing in his place? But it was him. It was Simon Peter, the Lord's disciple and friend, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he was then, though, ruled differently. Not by a fear of men or what others may think or his own silly ideas, but ruled by a zealous fear, love, and trust of God. And as such, what did he do? In the moment of speaking, he spoke truth. Truth to the mob, truth to the crowd, the same mob that had many members who had only so recently, only a few weeks before, shouted, crucify him. But Peter doesn't just stop at the accusation. He doesn't just say, you guys had a hand in that. No, he goes on, testifying to the risen Lord Jesus Christ's divinity, that he is God, he is God in the flesh. The same doctrine, if you will, that kicked Jesus' trial before the high priests into high gear. Ah, we got him. He said he's with God in glory. We can now convict him, and no one can say boo about it. And that is what Peter preaches. And then he goes on from talking about the Lord's divinity to his resurrection from the dead. This Jesus who you killed, God raised up according to his definite foreknowledge. And then finally, he speaks of Jesus as he was then in his ascended glory. This pivot on Pentecost, if you want some alliteration, is on full display in Peter and the other disciples too. But it's only half the story of the day, isn't it? That's why I chose to read the longer part of the Acts lesson, because you get the full story. The second is an equally moving, equally important transformation. And it's the crowd that Peter preaches to. Without knowing the story, I want you to imagine if you'd never heard of Pentecost, you were never a Christian, you weren't raised at Calvary or another church, growing up knowing the Bible story, I just want you to imagine somebody that read or heard the Gospels and heard about the Peter in those stories and about the crowd that crucified Jesus and how those two would interplay if they heard Peter give this sermon. Okay, I think it'd be safe to guess, easy to assume, that the very next step would be for them to shout crucify him again, but for Peter this time, right? For them to try and come after this person who is accusing them so pointedly of something that they had done. And the disciples' fears would have been realized, you would think. They were right to be afraid, right to hide. That's it for Peter. But no, after hearing Peter's words... 
after him scathing them with the accusation, the fair and just one, of what they, role they had to play in our Lord's crucifixion, after him confessing those controversial doctrines of Jesus Christ, what does it say happened? It says that they were cut to the heart. They were convicted, as we would say it as Lutherans, convicted of their sin and their need for a savior. They cry out, what shall we do? And Peter tells them, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Become Christians. That's what you should do. And thus we see a striking before and after picture before and after picture of a formerly timid man who is hiding to a powerful apostle of God. A before and after picture of a crowd that was hostile and made sure that the Lord of life was crucified to a crowd that believes in that Lord. At least 3,000 of them. We see the power of Pentecost. And dear friends, I want to tell you, this isn't just a story about the past, about something long ago, but it is a power that endures even still to today. The fire and the tongues that seemed to descend on everybody or that did descend on everybody as we see when Pentecost happened, those are gone. When I baptize a baby or an adult or someone comes to belief later in life, you don't see any physical signs associated with it and don't try and look for them. They're not going to be there. And the miraculous tongues that they were given, the ability to speak languages that they had never learned to spread the message, those are gone too. But the power of the Holy Spirit that's still here. The power of the Holy Spirit to convict hardened, sin-born hearts, to embolden hearts that have been convicted and converted, to inspire speech that Holy Spirit's power is there, to cut hearts to the quick. It's still here today, just as much as it was on Pentecost. Peter himself has gone on to his reward, and the crowd that he preached to, and many of whom were converted, that's dispersed, but... The scene is enacted over and over whenever someone comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, whenever someone shares the message, pastor or laity, does not matter, about Jesus Christ being the salvation of the world. The Spirit is given, the Spirit convicts, the Spirit brings to and keeps people in the holy faith. The lost are saved, the dead become alive. Pentecost is a wonderful holiday. It doesn't get the attention, of course, of Easter and Christmas, but it is up there, and it should be, because today we are celebrating that we are Christians, and we have the Holy Spirit, and the most important measure that he was given on Pentecost. So let us remember it today, and ever remember it. In Jesus' name, amen.